0: Hello again. Welcome to China Manufacturing Decoded, the podcast from the Sophist Group. It's Adrian from the team here, and I'm joined by another guest this month. They're coming thick and fast. It's Paul Adams, who is our senior engineer. Hi, Paul. Hello, Adrian. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Uh, Very well, thank you. Very well. It's, uh, It's a pleasure being on here, and thank you for inviting me. Yes, it's it's been a while. Uh, if we go back in the mists of time, I think you're on sort of episode one, two, and three, maybe. Yeah, uh, yeah, very much so. It's uh, I don't know how many uh, episodes ago that was, but uh, uh, so well, long. I'll tell you, 146 episodes ago, because we are on episode 146 today, and uh, oh, this is at, <laughs> at the very end it's of nice <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, as I always say, hopefully we'll get you on to another episode in the future, and. Just before we kick off, Paul, talk to me just a little bit because in case our listeners aren't accustomed to you, you're you're with the Sophies group and you have written a bunch of content such as um, going into detail about selecting the right types of plastics and things like that. So some really great stuff. But talk, talk to me a bit about your history as an engineer and then we'll kick it off. Yeah, good. Uh, it's a good introduction, by the way. Um, excellent. Thank you. So,
1: yeah, my my background is is engineering. You know, I've been engineering since uh, school, really, and uh and I've been in in the game ever since. Been working in China for well since 1996. Um, mm. So I've been around the block um, a, a few times, let's say, <laughs> without giving away mm. my age. But yes, I I have I have created a lot of content with the uh with the group uh, a lot of videos those people out there uh, on the uh youtube channel and, and such may have seen my videos that have, oh, yeah. we've created but um i think uh a lot of a lot of a lot of the content that's um it's been very specific to products or material or testing basically yes. um and and that's basically my background as as an engineer mm-hmm. um, so yeah like i said i've been been focused on on manufacturing product developments and and getting products into the marketplace for for many years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of that has been focused on um, with with Western manufacturing processes, with manufacturing technology and, and partners within China itself. Not just China, but a bit in Asia as well, Malaysia and and Singapore back in the day. Yeah, uh, but predominantly, yeah, uh, sort of Chinese suppliers these days. So that—that's basically uh, my background in a nutshell.
0: I think it's important this particular topic that we have yourself coming on as an engineer because what we're going to be looking at today are some of the key tests that importers uh, such as the people that we're normally working with at Sofeast and uh, a lot of our listeners I hope they're likely to need to put their products through and so it's kind of like the 80-20 rule right so it's the 20% of product tests that give probably 80% of the results and benefits that a great many importers are going to get and so as an engineer, I'd love if you can explain what these key tests are and talk a little bit about the equipment used, what's being tested for, and the benefits that the importer is likely to get from doing this kind of test. To discuss the
1: 2080 rule, I think is a brilliant idea, yeah, mm. because there are hundreds and hundreds of tests out there that. Every product can go through and and every engineer and and, and designer has to consider when developing a product. They need to make sure that the product's safe, is fit for use, as well as being able to pass any certification that is required for various different industries and such. Mm. So the tests basically is is endless. However, what I would like to do today is discuss with you, Adrian, and our listeners, is, is to go through I think there's seven main tests that Mm. everyone should consider and they will probably be considering utilizing these tests um, tests throughout the product development or coming back and checking production quality as they move forward. Mm, Yes. I think that's an important differentiation. It's not just about the product development to start with, but it's ensuring the product quality is being continued to be monitored throughout production.
0: Yeah, that, that's a good point. And so uh, these tests that I suppose through your career, you've just kept on coming back to then, you mentioned the seven. So let's go through them one by one. And you're going to talk about, as I say, how they're done and the benefits involved and and go into a little bit more detail about each. So if we start with the first one then.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that the, the first one's the most important, but no. these are in no, no particular order, right. um, but I'd like to start off on test number one that I, uh, I always refer to as the, the tensile test. Now the, the tensile test is a, is a pretty important test for, for any, any, any developer that's working on a new product. I um, mm. need to make sure that the the product or the material itself is strong enough in order for that to um, be suitable in in the product itself, in the final product. Now, let's have a look at what the tensile test is all about. Uh, So it's all about measuring the strength and the performance of a material. And we do that by applying attention to a sample piece, a set-size sample piece. But basically, that's put into a, a machine, um and the into two jaws, and the jaws are separated at a set steady speed okay and during that process of of being parted the, the jaws are being parted, and it 's pulling the sample apart mm. there are there are measuring measurement equipment on the actual sample itself, and what we're doing there is measuring not just the break point but various different attributes of that material and the sample as it's being pulled apart so we can look at the elongation we can look at the the um the elastic stage there is elastic stage if you look at um steel for example it gets to a point before the yield what they call the yield point if you remove that tension the steel just return back to its standard shape. All of these points within uh, sort of the plotted graph are really important to understand from a design aspect. Mm. Now, can you imagine if we're building a material and we choose the wrong material, okay, so the material is strong and brittle, it may not be suitable for a product that needs some sort of flex or if it had if been used in in a windy environment if it's an outside product for example it's going to break it's going to snap it's going to be dangerous it's going to it's going to fail its function yeah and uh likewise yeah you know, if we've got a a very flexible material right that is able to comply with some different forces within the elements that is probably the wrong thing to use if you're building a bridge for example mm. you know it's so you really got to you got, you got to look at the the material you're using, and you need to understand the test and the results that it gives you. Okay, hmm. so that's basically the tensile test and why it's, why we're looking at it. So let's have a look at. I just want to quickly explain how to to carry out the test itself. Now I did mention that we're going to put a sample in some jaws and pull it apart. So that's pretty pretty accurate. Um, so. As we're doing that, the machine actually pulls and applies attention to that sample and pulls it apart at a controlled rate until it does actually break. Okay, Mm -hmm. That machine will then measure the forces applied to that sample throughout that entire process. The machine is then capable of plotting and giving you all the results such that it will give you the stretch. It will give the yield point. It will give you the maximum force applied at the break and the amount of elongation that that material went through. So it's going to give you a lot of information just on that one test called the tensile test. Okay. So that's, and there's, there's very similar standards you need to, to follow, which I'm not going to go into at the moment. But, uh, you know, the, the standards are there. You need to follow that with respect to, um, the material you're testing needs to be a certain sample size and shape and measurement. Um, so that needs to be complied with as well. Mm. But the results will give you a lot of information just from this one test. Now, who is going to benefit from that? And I've already mentioned that, um sort of an outdoor environment. If it's windy, it's no good having something that's brittle because that's just going to break. If you're going to be able to bridge, you, know, you don't want anything flexible because that's going to, you know, wander up and down, that's no good. So let's have a look at some people that really should be considering using the tensile test during both their product development as well as an ongoing quality control aspect to check and monitor production. Mm. First comes to mind is automotive. Uh, If you think of this, is pretty critical um, when it comes to component design. So we're looking at any of the engine parts. Suspension components, body panels, even okay they all need to go through various different um, tests, and the tensile test is is right up there on my list when it comes to uh, sort of automotive. another obvious one is aerospace mm-hmm. you know, I'm not just talking about you know, um, spacecraft, but you know, the standard aircraft as well. another critical critical product that if you get it wrong. We know the consequences. Yeah. So this is, you know, we need to make sure that we're ticking the boxes, dotting the I's, crossing the T's when it comes to testing. And tensile test is right up there on a lot of product, landing gear, for example, wind spars, fuselage, you you name it. Everything needs to go through this tensile test to make sure that we've got the right parameters for the material that we're checking.
0: And you know how much the wings actually bend on even commercial planes when you're when you're on them that it's it's a crazy amount right so yeah i can when see you, that when how you look out that
1: window when you're in turbulence it's a scary thing yeah right? yeah uh, so the, the, yeah as an, as an engineer it's your responsibility you know to make sure that you are designing a product that is fit for purpose yeah. plus some a little bit of a sort of safety factor in there mm-hmm. you know, we can't afford to design right to the wire with no room for for errors we we always have to design in what we call a safety factor um so it's, we know that the material can um withstand the forces that we design to plus an extra safety factor yeah um, without fear yeah, yeah that's mm-hmm. that's really important to understand so another one is construction um yeah we we're always talking about sort of steel and plastics um Well, I certainly have been uh, for for the last many, many years when I've been uh, sort of writing and creating content. But another thing comes to mind is construction. You know, you can actually put various different pieces of concrete or different steel, you know. So we're talking about the rebar and stuff like this. All of that Mm -hmm. has load-bearing capacity requirements. Uh, And again, you know, materials like that can be subjected to the tensile test. Um, so, which is really good, another odd one uh if you think about it is textiles mm-hmm. um, We can put textile components through there, clothing, footwear leather um all all of these uh, uh materials need to withstand a certain parameter when you 're designing it mm-hmm. um i 'm talking about clothing, yeah you well, you, you could actually put your standard everyday clothing through there, um, but what about some safety clothing? What about some rock climbing equipment, yeah. things like this? Yeah. Well, All and you that. have
0: high performance yeah. athletics clothing as well, and and, and certainly exactly. things like the sneakers that those are very highly engineered these days.
1: Now, yes, yes, they are. Yes, they are. Yeah, and and a lot of people, yeah, you know, certainly in, in in my experience, I've used this on on a lot of polymers or plastics. Yeah. Um, a lot of steels and, and other materials, less so on concrete and wood, to be fair, in my yeah. own experience. But again, I just want to bring that to to the attention that that is a critical component that needs to be tested. And the tensile test is a very good way of getting mm. a lot of data from one test. Packaging and materials is another one obviously, um, mm-hmm. so we need to look at that. So those industries, if, you, if you're in that industry or one of these industries, you really should be considering the tensile test when you're looking at choosing a material for any of the components within the design. And okay. remember, this not just at the beginning stage. This really should be taking a product from production, and checking the quality to ensure you've got consistency over a period of time. Okay, yeah, so that's, a, that's a really good thing there.
0: Mm, it's a good one, I suppose. There's different ways to perform this test. Is there is there one type of machine that is typically used? I, I, I was just about to say that, and, <laughs> and, the, and the
1: and the beauty and the beauty of having a tensile test carried out at a lab or, or, or an inspection lab is that can be carried out on various different machines. You have a dedicated tensile test machine, um, but you've also got what we call a universal test machine or a UTM. Now, the Mm. UTM is capable of carrying out more than just the tensile test. Mm. Uh, um, It it can do a number of different tests, and some of the tests that we're going to be talking uh, talking about uh, here today can be carried out on the universal test machine. Uh, which, okay. when we get to that point, I'll say. And here is another example where the universal test machine can be utilised to carry out that test.
0: Nice.
1: So yeah, we we have we have different options when we come into uh, the actual product uh, or a piece of equipment that we can carry out the the tensile test. Most mm. test labs will have a dedicated um, tensile tester. If it's a smaller. Piece. If, they, if they're looking at small components, um, generally the uh, the universal test machines are, are slightly larger and they're more capable of uh, handling um, all sorts of different products um, and, and materials. Right. So and yeah, the universal test machine. That's the that's the thing you're looking for when you go to a test lab to get your products tested.
0: Yeah, and I was going to make the point about this actually. Uh, I don't I don't suppose a lot of importers need to have an extremely in-depth knowledge about the types of machines used for each test. Of course, they can. But I guess it is important to understand what the lab that you're considering working with is actually capable of. And if they have the correct equipment to do the tests that you need, then that's something if you know they've got it, then that's a benefit to you.
1: I think you're right. It's it's a case of having that conversation with uh, the lab you're choosing it and making sure that they've got the, the relevant equipment. There's mm. no need for you to know the ins and outs on how how it works intimately. Um You just need to know that you, they have the correct equipment and they are capable and competent in using that equipment.
0: Yeah. OK, cool. Uh, lovely. Thing. OK, that's uh, that's the first test. Then that was the tensile test. So uh, let's move on to number two test number two i want to talk about the impact test
1: now again and this is um this is a very relevant test and i've carried this test out, i've had this test carried out on all sorts of products that i've worked with in the past and the impact test is is basically a test that will show you how your material can withstand a shock impact Hmm. Okay, so you imagine if you're in the game of developing bulletproof cars or bulletproof windows, for example, and you choose the wrong material. Yeah, again, it's a, it's a critical component that you're working with. Yeah, it's a bulletproof; it needs to stop a bullet coming through, and it's protecting the the occupants of the car or the vehicle. And you've chosen the wrong vehicle. Uh, you've chosen the wrong material, and the product fails, and the occupants um, are no longer safe you know, it's, again it's it's something you really need to understand how that material performs under that shock load right? and mm. the impact test is the way to go now. I'm going to talk about one particular machine here, and this is the Sharpie test. This is a very dedicated machine just for this. It's a Sharpie V-notch test machine. There are other machines out there, like the, the IZOD, which I'll talk about. We'll just mention later. Um, but basically, everybody, the industry standard is the Sharpie test machine. Okay, so let me get that one out of the way to start with. And, and basically how it works, Adrian, is, is this is a mechanical testing device. Okay, And what we do is we, we load our sample into a, a vice, which is located at the bottom of the test machine. And the test machine has a big pendulum. You know, you got like a big anvil that is lifted up and it's let go. And that anvil comes rocketing down on an arc and it impacts the test piece itself, at which point... The machine will measure how much energy has been absorbed by that specimen. Now, in some cases, it will shatter and break the specimen. Other, pace, uh, other, other times, it will just come down and it will resist the the weight of the pendulum coming down. It will just bend, or it will just like um, you know, you just take up all of the energy from from the hammer. Depending again, this will depend on the material you are testing. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so let's have a a quick look at how it works in in a little bit more detail. So I've already said there's a a test specimen. Sometimes this has a notch, okay, and that notch is there to propagate a crack and actually get that um, sample to break, okay? So this is sometimes referred to as the Sharpie notch test for obvious reasons. It's, It's got a notch in the actual sample itself, so once that piece of sample, and a sample can be anything from a piece of metal to a plastic, um, to a concrete even. Um, so once that is loaded into that, that vice, the pendulum is set and it comes down and the force is measured on the sample itself. Okay. It's the resistance of how much force that takes is what is important here. And that is basically what we're doing. So it can be the, the sample piece can be damaged. It can have slight cracks and it. it can have a dent. It can totally shatter. Yeah. And, and again, this, like I said, it will depend on the material being tested itself. Hmm. So again, who is going to benefit from the impact test? Manufacturing industries. Uh, this is I'm just going to general broad brush the manufacturing industry um where we've got every type of product being manufactured that could potentially have an impact from a from uh, in use uh, and i'm talking about something like a lawn for example mm-hmm. you yeah, know where the blades are spinning and it could pick up a, a stone or, or a piece of debris and throw that against the, the housing now if that housing cannot contain that stone all of a sudden we've got a lethal weapon um so we need to make sure that the product um can withstand or in this case the housing on the lawnmower could withstand a very high force impact force from potentially a a sharp stone or a rock that has been forced against that that inner housing yeah very critical to do that vacuum cleaner for example you know, the same thing, you know, it might not be as severe, but anything that you could think of that can be used, um, dropped, hit against something, something hits mm-hmm. against it, all needs to have that relevant piece of information with respect to, is this material good enough to withstand the impact that I could think of during the design to act as a safe product
0: hmm.
1: okay and uh, to the extreme i'll go back to the bulletproof glass you know it's um you know polycarbonate is is uh, one of the, the best materials out there and you'll see this in in all sorts of places um banks um uh jewelry shops for example yeah. you know, it's, it's it's you know if you're choosing again if you're choosing the wrong material you're either putting out a product that's not safe or it's not protecting something um, very, very important to do this um construction industry as well, you know we mm. talked about construction industry um last time with respect to concrete and bricks in this case we're we're talking a little bit more rounded, more broad brush when it comes to that and we're looking at pipelines, pressure vessels, mm. boilers, for example, you know other construction larger construction um industry uses. They all need to have that impact test carried out because, again, this could be a very, very critical component we're looking at. The um, same when it comes to energy industry, you know, nuclear yeah, plants. Good. Can you imagine, you know, how, how dangerous that would be? Oil and gas industry, um, very, very important to understand. You choosing the right material. When you're choosing the right material, you obviously, you know, scale everything up well with respect to the thickness of the material that you're using in production itself. Yeah. Um. And, and another two, I just want to bring up without going into too much detail, is the aerospace, which I've already talked about in the previous one, and research and development um, industries, such as universities or research labs um, themselves. Very, very interested in gathering data for material and producing white papers for for designers like us. Mm. Um, make it very useful. Um, so that's the that's the sharpie impact test machine, which is really widely used across the industry to make sure that your the material that you've chosen meets the safety requirements that you're designing for.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's good. I think I think it's also um, probably one of the tests that we're concerned about when we're considering durability as well. Certainly in some of those industries, I mean, you know, construction, you want to make sure that the uh, the materials that you're using are going to be durable for the long term. For example, so that, the, the the ability to resist impacts, you know, for a pipe, for example, that's uh, that's that's an obvious one, I suppose. So, yeah, but- I can see how this is a really good one. That's uh, that, that's helpful. Yeah, the next one on the list, which is the third one, also it's quite similar in some ways, right? Test number three. I want to talk about hardness testing.
1: Yes, it is. It, it is very similar. Um, but hardness testing is probably, I don't, I, don't, I don't want to say it's the most widely used, but I feel it is, yeah, certainly in my okay. experience, you know, certainly in my experience, you know, so everything that I've done and touched in the past, I wanted to know how hard it is uh, for mm. various different reasons. Um, now, the hardness test, I, I could talk to hardness testing for about an hour. Um, <laughs> Clearly not, but it's, um, it's. I'm going to summarise it from start to finish. I think on the, on this mm. one. Now, now that again, it's very similar to to impact testing, but hardness testing is a is a method of checking how hard your material is. In other words, how resistant it is at being scratched or indented. Mm. Okay, that's basically a summary of what hardness testing does. So, let's have a look at like I say i'm gonna broad brush this um yep. so um because there, there are so many different methods on how to do hardness testing, and this is why I want to broad brush it because it'll be here forever otherwise mm. so let's have a quick look at how it works um so the hardness is it measures the material resistance, like I said, and the resistance to deform and indent okay that's that's key, various different methods are Rockwell hardness, Brunel hardness, Vickers hardness, and Shaw hardness. Mm. There are others out there, but they're the top ones that I've used in the past and tend to come up to the top when it comes to popularity. Now, these involved applying a force to the surface of the sample or the material being used, and that can include an indenter that is a diamond tip or just a steel ball. Okay, now, how do we check the hardness? Well, that indenter is pressed down at a determined rate or a force, and then the indentation itself is measured, okay, from, from either a cross-section area or a depth, and it's th- that is then correlated with a set of tables where you get your your value. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the results will be used to determine how suitable your material is to um, withstand the hardness. In other words, is it good enough for the products you're developing? Yeah. That's that's it in a nutshell. Okay. Okay. It's it's very broad brushed on that. Hmm. Okay. So who's going to benefit the most from using a hardness test and getting the results from that. Well, no surprise there. It's, it's basically the same list. Yeah. You know, so the manufacturing industries, if you're looking at the autom- if you're in the automotive industry, it's really critical that you're choosing the right materials at the right hardness for various different things like gears, ball joints, and things like this, mm-hmm. machinery and tooling as well. Um, I don't know how many wrenches the oh, wrench strap, stroke spanner. Um, for us english um guys <laughs> how many how many um sort of wrenches have you actually put on um a really stiff bolt and it's just snapped or bent and it just hasn't mm. done its job mm. you know choosing the wrong material you know for and 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 that could easily have been overcome by doing some of these tests mm-hmm. um Some of the products out there are really really critical when it comes to the hardness, especially when it comes to wear factor. And the wear factor is you know we've got two components rubbing against each other, so the wrong hardness, it's just going to rub away and wear out, um, so which is not good. Construction right. industry as well, yeah, you know, we're looking at rest of, um, concretes, ceramics, we're looking at glass mm-hmm. as well. In this case, um, all of this, all of these materials can be uh, hardness tested, um, to some extent. Medical industry as well. Yeah, my poor old mum, she's had a number of hip replacements. Um, and we need yeah. to make sure the material going into that, um, somebody's body is, is not going to wear out after a year. You Absolutely. Know, yeah,
0: that's, that's a good
1: thing. It's got longevity. Mm, uh, so we're, mm, we're looking at the right material and making sure it's hard enough and it's the right compatibility with the, with the, uh, sort of matching material as well. Um, so the medical industry is another obvious one. Surgical equipment as well. Yeah. Um, you know, just in the surgery as well as dentist mm-hmm. equipment. Yeah. You know? So mm-hmm. a, a lot of these pieces of equipment really need to be defined with respect to what their hardness is.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Aerospace industry. Um, and again, research and development for these white papers and, and a lot of industries will, will um, be looking, um, for that information. Nice. Um, so I, d- I just want to quickly um, sort of go over the, the the four different hardness tests that I mentioned earlier, and, and the way I want to frame this is um, go from hard to soft, yeah. As it were. So the Vickers hardness test it is normally used for hard materials such as hard steels, so titaniums, um, as, as well as anything thin and as brittle. Okay. Mm. The Rockwell hardness is the next one down. And and that's more suitable for a wider range of materials, including hard materials, steels and titanium, as well as some of the softer materials, such as aluminum and brass. The Brunel hardness that has, that tends to have a larger ball indentation. And that is generally used. You'll see that being used on castings where it's got a rough surface finish. Okay, so where that larger ball indentation comes down, it's easier to measure on a rough surface, right. um, such as like a, a cast iron or, or an alloy or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the Shore hardness testing, which is more suitable for softer materials such as rubbers, elastomers, and and other polymers itself. Um, right. So that that's basically those four different types of hardness testing machines, going from Hard to soft, okay, without right. going into too much
0: detail there. For more information on those, I do remember you've created some videos on those in our YouTube channel. So as always, people, please check the show notes. I will be including links to a lot of the stuff that Paul's talking about today.
1: You're right. Yeah, it, it's one of those things that we're broad brushing at the moment and touching on the subject, but I know that we have a lot of detail with respect to each of these in, in, uh, sort of finite detail, how to set it up, how to use yeah. it, and, and, um, examples of some of the graphs and results and everything like this. So just to finish off, uh, mm-hmm. summarizing, summarizing the, the hardness test, um, equipment. So it is really important to, to use the hardness testing throughout your development and again in production to ensure that you 've got consistency in product output from your supplier, yeah, and this will make sure that you can you know you've got traceability and it will determine the suitability of the material um, uh, for, you, for your application itself. It will also monitor any changes that the supplier may be pushing through. Mm-hmm. This is where uh, another one where I've used this extensively is heat treatment. Making sure your heat treatment is correct, okay, mm. it's particularly on gears and stuff like this. Um, so heat treatment is that's a must. You know that goes hand in hand. You know the heat treatment products go with hardness testing, right? Um, like I said quality control. You know making sure that you've got consistency in all of your materials from start
0: to finish. Okay, and on to the fourth test, please.
1: Number four test is the flexural test or bend test, however you want to um, sort of say it or however it's referred to in your area. Um and again, this uh, this is another important one for various different industries. But uh, basically, it is as you know, it sounds. It does what it says on the tin, as they say. Uh, mm. The flexural test is also known as a bend test, like I've said, and it's a typical mechanical test that's used to determine the flexural strength or the stiffness of a material. Okay, it's, it's normally performed uh, on a beam-like um, horizontal specimen or a sample. And um, that could either be a bar or a flat, uh, a flat bar or, or a round rod as a specimen, depending on what's the material and the uh, specifications we're looking at. And then a, a load is applied to the center or multiple points during that, during which again, measurements are taken and the machine will actually um, sort of spit out a lot of data mm. for you to determine what that flexural strength is okay um so that's basically where we are and what, what we're testing here is steel various different polymers we're looking at ceramics and composites um composites has uh sort of come a long way in uh in the last few years never really existed so much when i first started around but uh a lot of um um Bikes, for example, road bikes or or mountain bikes, these days are made out of a carbon fibre composite. Mm. And and again, this is is something that I've worked on in the past, where we're looking at a a, a mountain bike, a downhill mountain bike made of carbon fibre composite. The frame was carbon fibre composite. And, And that really needs to withstand all the shock and bangs and, and, and everything. And the amount of tests that a carbon fiber composite frame goes through is incredible. And one of the important ones there is a flexural test or a bend test. Obviously, it, it can't bend underneath you, it can't snap because it's too brittle. So, yeah. you know, that having that flexural test is really important for um, something like that. And like I said, you know, what we're doing is, is mounting the sample. In the machine, and we're either bringing down the uh, the machine head, such that we're applying a known force at a particular set rate, and we're trying to bend the sample. And during that process, we are measuring everything that's going on within that sample piece itself. Hmm. Or there's multiple points, uh, three or four points, um, that the the sample is being pressed or um, exerted on and again this is really important with respect to what material you're looking at in your design for the end product itself um, now who's going to benefit from it like i said i'm just going to bring out a number of different um, examples um one that i have worked on in, in the last few years is that mountain bike it is a downhill mountain bike and it was really really critical to understand how much that frame flexed and and how much it couldn't flex um uh the, the architects For example, that's another good one where we're looking at that. You know, I mentioned bridges at the beginning of uh, this podcast when we were talking, Adrian, Mm. you know, with respect to making sure that you've got the right material, bridge material, generally steel, you know, good quality steel needs to go through this particular test to ensure, you know, we've got the right parameters. Um, There's no good having. Um, some of these bridges wobbling up and down and tipping cars off—they uh, <laughs> need to be—they need to be right. We've we, we've all seen the videos, you know, so, uh, the uh, the magic bridge that was swaying um, needs to be correct. Um, and, and again, quality control—I keep on going on about this because it's so important, Adrian, and, and I can't stress it enough that uh, particularly when when you are dealing with. Um, so the supply chain, when you are in uh, sort of the Western uh, Hemisphere somewhere, so the States, for example, and you are bringing in your products from China, you need to ensure that you've got consistency. And consistency is maintained by testing products from production. Uh, mm. And, and you've really got to do that. It's really important. I've seen that time and time again in, in all of my years working with, uh, different suppliers. So a flexural test um, it is really good to, to have in your arsenal of tests to actually look at, am I using the right product uh, uh, material? Now, let's have a look at the machine itself. We're going to go back to our friend, the UTM, the universal test machine, uh-huh. because this machine, if you've got one of these, it is capable of doing this. It, it's got the tensile section. In other words, it can pull. It can also push. Okay, and pushing is what we're doing here with respect to the flexual test. Um, So, and again, this is really good to to understand if your test lab has the universal test machine because you know that they will be able to carry out a number of critical tests for you on various different components, tests, and production items.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So, which is good. Again, there's some of the materials we're looking at is uh, various different polymers, um, thermoplastics, and thermosets. Um, so, which is really important. And yep. again, we've got more information in depth um, on some of the um, some of the content we've already written out there. Um, ceramics, glasses, um, hmm. fibre reinforced plastics. I've already talked about um, sort of the carbon fibre bike frame. Um, all of these materials can go through this test. Um, and everybody that uh, there's so many industries that use various different materials that need to understand how much their material flexes. It's no good having a material that flexes too much. So you need to understand if you're designing a product that needs to be compliant or when I'm talking about compliant, it needs to move. So you need to understand it can have that movement you're designing without going past that because it's that that's a failure point, as well as making sure, on the other hand, that the product does not flex. Um So, again, we're looking at two ends of the spectrum with respect to having uh, the results analysed with respect to what your material can do and what you are designing it to do. Hmm. Another good one, just throw that in there, prosthetic Limbs. Okay. You don't want them bending from underneath you, but you also want them a little bit compliant in order for them to be comfortable as you're moving. If we're talking about uh, a prosthetic leg, for example. Mm. So that's uh, a fractional test. Next one I want to talk about, Adrian, is test number five, which is chemical analysis. Now, when I'm talking about chemical analysis, I'm not talking about, you know, you know Something like bleach or, or, or something like this. It, it's more of a chemical composition of a material, okay? right? So it, it's it's very. I just want to make that clear. It's the chemical composition of a material, and this is vitally important when it comes to designing and development of products, in particularly metals. Okay, mm. so the chemical composition um, is, it, yeah, it's, it's the mechanical. That's the physical and mechanical properties. Of the material, which gives it its strength, ductility, thermal conductivity, and electrical conductivity. So we need to ensure that we're choosing the right material. And one way to do that is through chemical analysis. Now, luckily, there are a number of devices out there. And one, which is my go-to favorite, which is the XRF, okay, which is the X-ray fluorescence mm. machine. alloy analyzer now these are brilliant now you can get them in various different sizes you can get the bench size in other words is permanently affixed to a a bench in a lab or more importantly is the portable handheld analyzer where your um, factory auditor or inspector can go to the location and physically check the samples Prior to manufacturing, mm. yeah, that's, that's priceless. Absolutely priceless. You know, because you can get the results of what material they are planning to use before they actually use it to ensure that that is what you've actually ordered. Because you've already done the design work, you've already done the testing, you've actually um, worked out exactly what material you want. And one way to double check that is to use the uh, uh, the analy- analyzer on it prior to any production work because that way you're not going to waste any money. They're not going to waste time and money and it can be rectified very easily by changing out the wrong material to the right material. Mm. Now you're saying, how the hell does that work? <laughs> you know, that's simple really. It's, it's, it's x-ray. So uh, basically let, let me, let me try and explain how this works um, as a, Either as a benchtop or or as a as a handheld um, uh, device. Now this is a non destructive process, process, and what happens is the, the the gun will be I'm calling it a gun. It's a device that will be fired off at the material surface, and it's the X-ray uh, beam will excite the elements within the material itself, and the the responding response, uh, the, the beam coming back into the machine itself will give you how much uh, of each of the elements is within that material itself. And it will give you a quick readout on the display, either on the handheld device or on a larger monitor if it's the bench, held, um, bench mounted um, sort of product. And that will give you exactly the amount of elements that make up that material. And again, this is priceless if you're looking at a very, very critical material for a safety-critical product, for example. Okay? Mm. Another way that this is very commonly used, unfortunately, is in fault finding. Where mm. what I talked about earlier, you know, is very, very useful if your inspector or auditor can go to the factory and check the material before it's being used for processing any product. Unfortunately, a lot of people come to um come to us or or, or other agencies with respect to I've got I've got a problem. Um, my product is is failed and I, and I don't know why. You know, the, the, the manufacturing guys have said everything's okay, the, the materials, XYZ, and here's the certificate to show it. So one thing we'll do is is have a look at the the analysis from the uh, the X ray itself, um, the analyzer, and then we mm. can determine whether that material is to specification or is without uh, outside the specification. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of the times these are used in fault finding cases uh, where the product's already failed and it's too late. But it gives you a concrete evidence. Because it, it basically is a very, very accurate method of choosing or of selecting uh, the material, and it gives you that that, that bulletproof uh, sort of result, as it were. Um, it is finite. That's it. Um, so again, we're looking at um, who who's going to benefit from this. Well, if you've got a safety critical product, um, or if you if you're really conscious about the material you're using it has to be correct. Um, within a an absolute finite uh, window uh, specification, you need to use this. You need to use mm. it. Um, if you've got a product that has failed, this is a very very good way to check to see if that material is meeting specification. Okay. Right. That and and, and again, I've used this in the past. We're, uh, at the front end um, checking and verifying the uh, the material is correct and the manufacturer. And unfortunately, I've been uh, so sort of had to use it uh, at the back end when products failed. And indeed, the material was out of specification, despite the certificate showing it was correct. Um, so again, it's, it's, it's very good if your uh, inspection lab or, or or inspection company that you're working with um, has one of these in their portfolio. Mm. Very, very good to have. Um so some yes. quick summary on this one is that the handheld devices are very, very useful to have. Use them at start of production because that will save a lot of um, time, effort, and money. Um, and they can be used to as continuous quality check and performance on the material that is being used in your supplier. Mm. Very, very easy to test, non-destructive, very easy to do, and very critical.
0: Yeah, we we hope the supplier isn't going to use a material that is out of specification, but it could happen either by a mistake somewhere in the supply chain or somebody's trying to pull a fast one. So, yeah, I can see how that's a really good one.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Either either way, yeah, you know, it, it's trying to get to the bottom line. as a root cause uh, analysis, as I say. we yep. We really got to get to the bottom of it, um, uh, and hopefully, no one's trying to pull a fast one. But uh, genuine mistakes do happen. Mm. Uh, that, but uh, this is one one way to to overcome that. Mm-hmm. So, good. so right, very that's good. So that one test number six. I would like to talk about fatigue testing. Okay, so I'm not um, talking about tiredness. I'm talking about how long your product will last. Mm. Okay, this is all about the fatigue of the material itself. Now, to put it another way, right, this involves repeatedly loading and unloading material or a component multiple times through a cyclic stress process if that makes mm. sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the goal here is to understand uh, whether your product will fail or whether it has got longevity plus that uh, safety factor we talked about um, earlier. Because if there's something that's going to fail, you need to understand before it gets to production. Okay. And having a, fa- um, a fatigue test during your design and development phase uh, i think is is really really important yeah um now the, the way this works is again we're going to go back to our friend the the universal test machine um mm-hmm. it's a brilliant machine It's, a, it's uh, i think every lab should have one because it does so much and the, fa- the fatigue test is one of those things is it can actually do mm-hmm. now very very quick uh Points on how to carry out the fatigue test is to start with, you need to understand um, how many cycles your product is going to flex, let's say, throughout its life cycle, plus that safety factor we keep talking about. and that is what you plug into your, your test machine. In other words, a, a million cycles, for example, it needs to flex a million cycles because I know that's going to last 10 years in service. That's fine. You plug that into there and the machine will go off and it'll do a million cycles. Mm. And during those cycles, what it's doing is, 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 is applying a force. So it's forcing the product down and then releasing that force. So it flexes back up. You can then go further and so it's double flexing so you can pull it back up or move it from left to right depending on the orientation instead of just flexing it one way and then let the the material sample come back to the center you're actually flexing it both ways okay Mm -hmm. so depending on what your product is designed to do you would either set the machine up to do a single flex or a double flex okay and it would go off and it would do all of those cycles During those cycles, obviously, the machine is recording all of the um, actions and activities of what's going on with your sample, and you will be able to print off that and have a look at all of the cyclic information with respect to the forces going into the product and whether there is any early signs of failure, whether that product's being damaged, whether that is... um, any cracks or damages on a on product itself. And again, mm. you'll be able to understand this because that machine is recording and analyzing all the time throughout that test. Yeah. So I just want to look at some critical points. I'll be, I'll be trying to give some examples um, like the uh, sort of the mountain bike and the previous one in flexing. Can you imagine something like a wind turbine in this case? Yeah, you know, this is a big piece of engineering going on here. Wind turbines. Absolutely critical, I did work for uh, um there's a company in my in my hometown in 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 of the u k way way back they've gone out of business now, but they used to make um extraction fans for tunnels mm. um car tunnels um and you know one of the things that they always used to talk about is it's absolutely critical that these blades were it didn't did, did not fatigue um it was one of the big things that they were talking about, and um, they had to go through these tests um all of the time. Could you imagine one of these blades spinning around and and that and that fails it's a, all of a sudden you've got a a potentially deadly lethal missile coming towards you in a in a tunnel that's going to cause chaos. um so again yeah, a lot of lot of industries a lot of products that are gonna benefit from this um the sort of the vacuum cleaner, the spinning blades in in um a blender or reducer, that's what I'm trying to think of. Stuff like this, you know, it's like it's it's not just the strength, but it's the flexibility and it's the sort of the failure mode from you know all of these cyclic um actions is going to go through it. The fatigue is going to go through. You mm. need to make sure the product you're designing with the, has the correct material that can withstand the test of time and the fatigue test is one of those tests that should be done. Basically Mm. it should be done in in so many different industries.
0: Our head of new product development, Andrew really talks a lot about uh, product reliability and durability. And he's been on the podcast before talking about this and, and written a lot of good stuff about it actually on, on Jillian's blog as well, our uh, contract manufacturing subsidiaries blog. And I suppose that when it comes to reliability and durability, this is really one of the sort of key tests that would be used. Because when you think about it, if we just pick up our phone or we're using our laptop, and uh, we don't think about how many times we're hitting the keys or we're powering it up or we're plugging things into it. But behind every product, when it's being developed, You want to make sure that your product is going to have the correct lifetime that's appropriate for your unique needs, right? And and it's going to at least last last through the warranty period, for example. So I suppose in the development of the product, this type of test is really going to be extremely useful for making sure that your product is going to have that lifetime.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and and every product's different. You know, I'm just looking at my laptop now. I very rarely close that, you know, unless I go out and about. Right, um, but you know, a lot of people do. Yeah, you know? a lot of people open and shut their laptop yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: multiple times a day, um, and that obviously can't be on a, on a set machine. So, you know, is the the fatigue testing more often than not has to have a specific jig or a rig created and developed in order to carry out the test itself. Yeah, um, so that that's a lot of the time. But yeah, it's okay. it, it products need to last, you
0: know. Mm, absolutely, last. well, if you want to avoid the dreaded uh, product return rate creeping up, so yeah, yeah, indeed,
1: yeah, yeah. we've all seen that in the past, yeah, right, good. All right, we're nearer in the end. Uh, let's talk about test number seven. I'm going to talk about creep test, okay. Now again, this is this is one that I've used a lot, um, particularly on polymers and plastics. Okay, this is where I've uh, done a lot of my cutting my teeth uh, from product development, and and a creep test is is basically some mechanical test that is determines how long it, the the basically the stretch is going to be over a period of time. Yeah, in in products or the deformation of a material under a constant load. Mm. Uh, that's a better one of putting out, I guess. Um, and, and and again, this is is um, predominantly I've used it me personally. I'm talking about personal experience now on uh, on a lot of plastics and polymers um, that I've developed uh, products with in the past. It can obviously be used on on other products as well, such as metals, aluminums, brass, and uh, things like this. Um, but creep is a real thing. It's it's a real thing, Adrian. You know, it, if you're looking at a product. And you need it to uh, maintain its um, tolerance yep. um, over a period of time because it's a critical component, or it, it, you don't want it to go out of shape. You don't want that to creep um, from a from a dimensional point of view. Now, a lot of times, yeah, you know, products are are used in com, com- um, in, in an assembly, you know, as a com- mm. combined. Um, load on various different components or points or joints, uh, in an assembly. And, and, sometimes, you know, the, the load on one component can put more force than, than the, the, you think or you're designing on, on, on the other component. And therefore, over a long period of time, that force is going to have an effect. Right? And that could actually cause creep, what we call creep in the product itself. Now, that creep, is is basically going to result in failure you know because if you 've got a ball joint for example and, and these ball this ball joint is created from plastics so two mm. plastic components, and you, you, something's not quite aligned in the assembly, even though you 've designed everything right you 've got something not quite aligned in the assembly for whatever reason, and the ball itself is putting more force. Over a long period of time, on the cup or the joint or the the reciprocal point, of the of the joint, and over a period of time, that's going to deform that cup. You know, the ball is going to force that cup out of shape, and ultimately, what can happen is that ball joint could come apart. That ball could pop out of that cup, for example, because it's the the materials crept over a period of time, because of that additional force, because of the misalignment. In the assembly down the line somewhere, that could be a critical component. Could be, and and if it is, it's a serious serious, serious implication, you know, on mm-hmm. the product. So we really need to understand what is. creep testing. How can we do creep testing? Well, again, we're going to go back to our friend uh, uh, the universal test machine um, because um, we we can do that. We we can uh, we can load up our sample. And we can generate a constant load. Um, in other words, we're, what we're going to do is, is pull this sample apart at a constant load and leave it there. And what should happen is, is nothing. Okay, the, the, the result should stay static. You know, the, the graph should be a flat line in effect. If it's something different, that means that we've got a problem because mm. that material is creeping. Over a period of time under that constant force. In other words, the material is incorrect for the design specification. And, and that is where we need to go back and say, okay, we, we've got it. It's not, is it, it's too, um, it's too ductile. Basically, it's, it's too soft. It, it stretches too much, too easily, you know, too, too quickly over a period of time. And that is basically what we're testing here when we're talking about creep test. Okay. Again, like I said, I've done it on on polymers and plastics, but again, it can be done on metals of, of all sorts, and it tests the ductility um, of, of a material over a period of time. Hmm. So that's that's basically where we are on that. Again, some sort of real life um, examples of that could be gears, plastic gears. Okay, I've seen this in, in a gearbox. Uh, Gearbox uh, was on a stairlift, believe it or not. Uh, Another one of uh, the industries I've worked in in the past Um, and and everything was all right. However, um, the material that was chosen for one of the critical gears um, in this particular case, the the product failed because the the product was not actually used in its entirety um, what it was designed to do. In other words, Transport people from the top of the stairs down to the bottom, from the bottom to the top. Um, the, this particular person was using it to transport heavier items than people, um, oh. goods, some, some description. And basically, what they'd done is they left the, the, the heavy goods. I don't know what it was, but, uh, maybe a, a load of weights or whatever. I don't know what it was. Um, but they left them on the stairlift for a long period of time. Mm. Yeah. So it was like, Getting it, someone like me, I'm a heavy guy. But uh, if I sat there for for a whole year, then then potentially we've got a situation where that gear is being held against the the opposite gear, and it crept over a period of time and failed. Mm. So not really um, in the okay. It was designed to do this realm. However, we still had a failure, and and it was down to this creep. Scenario. So that's a real life uh, sort of scenario that I have actually looked at. And again, we're, we're looking at all sorts of medical products. We're looking at um, consumer products come to mind. I've done an awful lot of consumer products in my time, um, sporting goods as well. You know, what we don't want to be doing is getting a product that is too ductile, in other words, too soft, and it creeps over a period of time. That's um, critical. So um, like I said, the, the the how to test this is a universal test machine it is one way. There is a dedicated uh, sort of creep test machine for this, but you know it's nine times out of ten. Are you are doing a tensile test? You can do a creep test. Mm. Okay. Similar type of mechanism that is used to do these tests. So I think that that's that's uh, sort of the creep test in in a nutshell. Adrian, and yeah. I think that includes my list. Now, I just want to say there are hundreds of different tests out there that, that can be done, need to be done on certain, certain products when you're designing a product, when you're developing a product. You need to ensure that you are doing your own research and making mm. sure that you are responsible for picking the right tests such that you're verifying the right material in order to go into your product that will meet Various different specifications and regulations, if required.
0: Yes, but uh, given that these are some of the most common that certainly you've had experience with in your quite long career, and we're we're, we're sort of f- focusing on the eighty twenty rule here. So it's the key yeah. tests that provide the most benefits for the most importers. Hopefully, everyone that's listening. Uh, these tests will be at least some of them will be a really good starting point for the types of tests that you want to be using during the development and subsequent manufacturing of your products. Uh, I've really loved this today. That's about an hour or so on the sort of tests that people really need to know about and, and wow. why, why and how they're beneficial. So yeah, yeah. useful stuff, Paul. Uh, great. You know, it's, it's like I said, this, even though
1: it was an hour long, it was uh, as a very, cut down short version of Mm -hmm. uh, the the 20 in 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 my opinion the the 2080 rule you know and as i said you know and and these are critical so i just want to like recap we've got the tensile test we've got the impact test we've got the hardness test multiple variations of that we've got the flex test the chemical analysis make sure your material is correct fatigue test and your creep test Make sure you put these down on your notepad, wherever you're going to put it. Make sure that you are utilizing these tests because you will benefit from
0: carrying these out. Excellent. And there you go. That's a great summary to end off the episode. Paul, it's been a pleasure. Let's get you back onto the podcast soon. And to everybody listening. Thanks for being with us once again. If you do have any questions about this kind of product testing and the tests specifically that Paul has outlined today, absolutely get in touch with us. You know where to go, sophies.com, and we'll be happy to talk with you about testing. Indeed, we do help with these sorts of tests, but look, we're, we're absolutely happy to give some friendly advice. So that's the end of today. We'll be back next week with another episode. Thanks again, Paul. Thanks Adrian. Bye everybody. Thanks again for listening to this podcast, brought to you by the Sophies Group. We're on a mission to provide you with everything you need to manufacture effectively in Asia, including inspections, auditing, new product development support, contract manufacturing, 3PL warehousing and fulfillment, and much, much more across Asia's key manufacturing areas. Visit us at that's sofeast.com that's S-O-F-E-A-S-T dot com, to learn more and get help. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do rate, review and share, because it will really help others discover us too.